and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The story picks up in Matthew's Gospel where we left off literally last week. The feeding of the 5,000, the huge throngs that were there listening to Jesus that day who saw that wonderful miracle, the demonstration of the compassion of Jesus. And then as our lesson picks up today, immediately following that, Jesus said, let's push back out again, back out onto the sea. I want us to look briefly at that lesson, but first I want us to look at the Old Testament lesson. These are two great stories. I just simply couldn't make up my mind how to how to work with this text this week and not and, and ignore the other one. So I want to take a look at both. So first we've got this wonderful snapshot of the prophet, one of Israel's Great heroes of the faith, Elijah. It needs a little setting up. When we discover Elijah here, he's already sitting in a cave. He's hiding. He's on the run. He's afraid. And I don't mean just a little afraid. He's terrified that people are out to get him because he was a worker for God. Elijah had been fighting incessantly with kings and queens. He'd been fighting with priests and prophets. And he'd been fighting with the neighborhood pagans in order to try and keep God's people from falling into sin and idolatry. And finally, as the story has it, uh, God's people had gotten a little religion. But just as quickly, you've got this reigning king, queen, this pagan Jezebel. Ring a bell? Jezebel. She was luring the masses back to the old ways. You've heard that phrase, you Jezebel. Luring the masses back. She was wicked. She was shameless. She was licentious. And that's where we get that expression, bearing her name. Elijah hit the road after hearing that Jezebel had a hit out on him. And so he bugged out. And as this fugitive ran, he stopped now to catch his breath. He had time to hide and he had time to think. And he was saying to himself, this little self-talk, he's saying, why am I running? My life isn't worth saving anymore. It's a mess. I'm a failure. I have no reason to live. This sense of doom and gloom had come over him. This feeling of failure and depression had come on to him rather quickly. And I'm guessing some of you recognize some of the signs in his self-talk and in the way that he was carrying himself in his comments. Maybe you've even been there and done that. And it was at this point that God sort of guided him to this cave. And he asks him this profound question, why are you here? It's like 
God wanted to check out and see if Elijah was tuned in to what was going on. Why are you here? And he gives him this vision. And that's the vision that we're having described for us in that first lesson today. So, that being said, Elijah was even having problems getting the revelation right. This almost comical scene of Elijah being chased from the cave to this mountaintop where God could get to him. Now remember, I'm giving you this clue. In Scripture, when you study Scripture, when you read Scripture, anytime you see a mountaintop, buckle up. You're like, put on your hard hat because God's going to do something on the mountaintop. Always. So Elijah's looking for God everywhere but in the right place. Maybe God's in the wind. No. Maybe in the earthquake. Mm -mm. How about the fire? No. The voice of God is like a gentle whisper. She read it perfectly. The voice of God finally comes like a gentle whisper. So not only is Elijah one of the biblical heroes of our faith, not only is he a failure with God, but he also is a failure in finding God. (laughs) And now I want to look at the Gospel lesson. Peter's attempt to walk on water. That's a failure. Pure and simple. I know some of you don't like that word. Like some of you might say, that was a setback. I mean, it was a failure. Out and out failure. Pure and simple. Only Jesus' outstretched hands saved Peter from drowning. He hauls him back into the boat, saves him. Jesus' assessment of the whole thing, of Peter's less than robust faith, he says that's the cause of the whole failure. O you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why did you take your eyes off me? Now, I can imagine that charge leveled by Jesus probably didn't help the soaking wet disciples' feelings about himself. I'm sure he was already a little embarrassed, a little set back by it all. You and I know what that feels like. Hmm? Failure. We've done it, all of us. At least most of us, I think. I mean, if you haven't failed, you, you haven't tried. You haven't done much in life. Failure is a major reason why people drop out and shut down and beat themselves up. I mean, we fail in work. Sometimes we fail in love. We fail in marriage. We fail the people who depend on us. And we fail the people whom we depend on. And sometimes we fail ourselves, don't we? Now, it should be said that failure is not always monumental, is it? Sometimes it's just a matter of reference points. When we fall short of a goal that we've set or someone has set up for us, that could be viewed as a failure when we fall short. Or it could be relative. 
I mean, who said that that was a realistic goal in the first place? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe no one could have accomplished that goal. And then think about what success is. And people of faith, they're pretty well acquainted with God's standards of success. I'm saying that this is all kind of a matter of perspective, this whole subject of failure. For example, maybe that job didn't work out. But maybe that was not the right one for you. Maybe that marriage that's bumpy or tough is the one for you. And you have to ride it out. Maybe that child that now brings grief one day, maybe way later, (laughs) brings you joy. Maybe that mistake, maybe that most recent failure of yours, maybe it just confirms your humanity. One thing we've learned most of us along life's way is that there are very few failures that are tragic. Very few failures in life that end it all, that are final and irreparable. And experience has taught us, even in the church, that if we're not experiencing some kind of failure along the way, we're simply not doing enough. Our risk tolerance is too low. We're trying nothing new. Think about that. Now, there's this image in the Gospel account of Jesus walking on the water. There's this scriptural image of storms. I want us to think about those for a little bit. Those unexpected, tumultuous things that transpire to which we have to respond. And so Peter's choice is to climb out of the boat... And if that's our choice, sometimes that's going to lead to failure. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of sympathetic to Peter. I mean, it took a lot of courage for him to get out of that boat on a frightening sea. I've been on a sea in a storm. It's horrible. And you are helpless, it feels. And the disciples, they were frightened. I mean, think, think about that. All of the disciples who were in that boat, only Peter got out. The rest stayed in the boat. And then Peter took his eyes off Jesus, started looking at the waves and the wind and the seas, and he faltered. Well, I can see myself doing the same thing. There are those times those moments when our faith gives out, aren't there? In the face of adversity, sometimes we get down. Sometimes we worry way too much. We might have started out bravely believing that God was with us, and then when the winds came up and the waves tossed us, we faltered. We too are people of little faith. At least at times. And that's one of the reasons that churches struggle with change. So whether you take these two stories today at face value as literal descriptions of true things that took place, or maybe you see them as a metaphor for some kind of larger message, there's still this question that looms. What 
word does this, do these stories have for us today, in today's world? It's this, I think. We live in challenging times. There's no doubt about that. We live in times when the winds are blowing and the waves are rocking the boat. I'm talking about life together as a church. We live in tough times. Those fires that have consumed one of the most beautiful places in the world, in Lahaina, the people who have been killed, and the places that have been wrecked, including churches. They remind us of how fragile this world is. Powerful symbol of the times we live in, I think. I've sat and watched those images and it just reminds me of the kind of world we're living in. And most of us are aware that the times for churches in general appears kind of bleak. Church folks can be looking backward, longing for the good old days. Man, I wish it was back then. Should have seen all the kids that were up here piled high. Should have seen it when these pews were overfilling. We had two, three, four services. And now, denominations of every kind are in decline. There isn't a church body that is progressing forward numerically. But there are a few congregations inside of those denominations, inside of those church bodies, that are thriving. Where something's cooking. Where the Holy Spirit somehow has gotten a hold of them and something is at work. And I, I see some signs of hope in this place and I hope you feel it too. God's got something going on here. I hope you join me in being excited about whatever it is God is stirring up in this place. The truth is this. You're going to go through a call process starting in a few months. And I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, gifted and passionate pastors are hard to find. Uh, the, the pool from which to choose is pretty shallow right now. And we're not filling up our seminaries with like kind. <laughs> so, churches are struggling. Uh, churches are struggling with funding and the institutional church sometimes seems irrelevant. Recent polls in America tell us that much like the rest of the world except for Asia and Africa, as many as 88% of people in this country self-identify as spiritual. And most of them identify as Christian. And then the exact opposite is true when it comes to how they apply that to a church. Almost 80% of Americans claim no affiliation to any institutional church. They want nothing to do with it. That's a huge gap. And perhaps a huge opportunity for us. And so we look at the world we find ourselves in and we ask, how would we respond to Jesus' call 
to come to him on the water. What will we do? What shall we... Are we going to stay in the ecclesial boat and just take Jesus' word for it that things are going to be okay? Or will we choose as a congregation to not venture out, to just be safe, stay dry, (laughs) hang on while the boat rocks, and then not have to risk getting a reprimand from Jesus saying, you don't have much faith, do you? And of course, the seas may be rough and they might rock the boat, but at least the boat provides a little bit of safety, doesn't it? We like it. It's like, come on in. It's good in here. Where it gets crazy is out there. So, are we just going to choose to enjoy each other's company until the doors close? Or might we respond differently? Maybe there's another way of looking at this. Peter's story, I think, helps us out. Peter's story suggests that you have to get out of the boat in order to fail and in order to regenerate, repurpose, rediscover what God's going to do with us. Jesus doesn't demand that anyone get out of the boat. Peter came up with that on his own. But... Jesus seems to be heavily invested in what happens when you climb out of the boat. And then the best part of this story, the part that I love, and that you perhaps noticed, is that the story doesn't end in a drowning. Jesus picks him up, pulls him back into the boat. Hmm. Kind of interesting to me. And then what happens to the ones that are sat in the boat through the whole storm? They worship. I mean, they're inspired by what they just saw. Now, we've got quite a journey ahead here at the Neighborhood Church. There are things to be said. There are things to be heard. There are things to be dreamed. And there are things to be planned for. There's a marvelous future, I believe, that God has in store for us here. I don't know what it is. And I hope you're going to be with us on the journey as we try to discover just what is next. And like Peter, we might get distracted. We might lose sight of Jesus and fail spectacularly. But as has been said, change is hard. But stagnation is fatal. Change is hard, but stagnation is fatal. I like Peter because Peter was impulsive. This wasn't his first time, nor would it be his last impulsive act. And despite his lack of faith at times, he didn't stay in the boat. He wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to be more like Jesus, his rabbi, his teacher, his friend. That's what disciples do. Make us more like Jesus. And we have our doubts at times. I've heard a few whispers as I've moved about. 
in meetings on the patio, you hear a whisper now and then of a little doubt. Well, we might fail spectacularly when we lose sight of Jesus. That's why I'm giving you this heads up. That's why it might be important for you to stick your nose in a Bible once in a while. To pick up a Bible, dust it off, and see what God has for you there. It might be important for you to develop your prayer life. Come to Bible study when we offer them in the fall. Become regular and consistent in your church life every time you can be. Be here, being influenced, being, uh, being lifted up and encouraged by one another. Serve other people. Give it away. But even a little faith can be sufficient. Jesus doesn't give him a ribbing about his lack of faith, but he doesn't leave him floundering either. He pulls him up to live another day. And for me, this is good news. I hope it is for you. The fact is that though we may have our weaknesses in faith, this in no way cancels the unconditional, unfathomable character of God's gracious love. You can't cancel that out. And that, my friends, in matters of life and faith, is what will empower us for the journey ahead. Amen. Glory be to you, Heavenly Father, through Christ our Lord, who with the Holy Spirit reigns forever, one God, now and always.